Hi everyone, I'm JJ Hornblast and welcome to the roadmap from Auto Finance News since 1996, the nation's leading news source on automotive lending and leasing. This is our weekly wrap for what's happening in auto finance for March 22, 2021. For beginning, a thanks to our advertisers, Alpha, Dealer Track, DeFi, Market Scan, Point Predictive, State National, Strook and Strook and Levan, and Westlake Financial for their continuing support. Thank you to them. And a good day to Joey Pizzolatto and Amanda Harris uh, from the Auto Finance News team who will be joining us for this episode. First is some general economic news. U.S. home sales fell 6.6% last month as supply remain tight. Sales of previously owned homes slid in February as the number of homes for sale held at an all-time low and home prices continued to climb. Federal Reserve Chairman Jerome Powell said uh, today on Monday the 22nd that the U.S. Central Bank is actively exploring the launch of a fully digital dollar, but that adoption um, but he added that adoption of a digital dollar will require congressional support. And uh, finally, the Federal Reserve said it was ending a year-long reprieve that had eased capital requirements for big banks. Friday's decision means banks will lose the temporary ability to exclude treasuries and deposits held at the central bank from the lender's so-called supplementary leverage ratio. This will likely leave less money for lending. And now to our lending market, which is the auto finance market. Um, we had last week our um, auto finance innovation summit. Both uh, Amanda and Joey were active participants in presenting that to the industry. Um, so thank you to both. You did a wonderful job. I wanted to start by uh, maybe for each of you to, uh, to point to the uh, two, three things that you heard that uh, really stuck out and that uh, you thought was uh, most noteworthy. Maybe Joey, you wanna kick that discussion off? You know, I'll let Amanda kick it off and I'll, I'll take the second round. Um, yeah, uh, you know, for me, it was a running theme of, you know, their auto lenders and people in the industry just kind of having to think of innovation in a different way. Um, you know, for a long time, it was just being innovative meant, you know, just having maybe new technology or, you know, something like that or doing something a little different. Um, you know, now with the pandemic kind of changing everything and more and more going online, um, it really changes the way they think about technology and how much of a role it has to play, um, especially when it comes to customer experience. Um, so that's kind of was a running theme that we saw. Um, and I just thought it was interesting. I loved the, the demovation challenge. I thought that was good to kind of see some of the new technologies that are coming up 
Um, in this space, uh, our winter really kind of showed that refinance is a big thing on people's minds. Um, yeah, so just kind of interesting to see how it's being talked about now in the light of what's going on. So absolutely agree with Amanda, this through line of technology's role in customer um, experience and that customer journey um, through every step of the retail process was definitely kind of top of mind. Uh, two of the other things that I thought were really um, interesting and point to something that the auto finance industry is going to have to start paying more attention to, uh, you know, in the coming weeks, months, years, um, would be, you know, the, that in-vehicle connected car technologies. Um, there is a huge opportunity for lenders in that space um, to leverage data, um, which was another big kind of talking point during the conference, Data's, data and analytics um, application. Um, so that industry um, will provide invaluable insight about, you know, borrowers' habits um, that can then be used for marketing, for, um, you know, lease extensions, and even underwriting, if you wanted to go that far. Um, one thing we saw was, you know, Daniel Chu, this chief executive and founder of Tricolor, they, they use um, that, that secondary alternative data when deciding um, how to underwrite uh, new borrowers um, and, and place it. Pairing, pairing the new borrower's kind of credit profile or personal persona pro, pro, profile to uh, past borrowers and that, the kind of loan performance that they've done. So that's one area that I thought um, was really interesting. The second, and we only spoke about it for a little bit, but it would be um, electric vehicles. You know, we all know uh, electric vehicles have been kind of the shining star of, you know, the equities market during uh, this, this last year. A um, lot of money funneling towards them. We know the OEMs are making huge investments. And, you know, consumer adoption, while it isn't still there, um, you know, it's, it's rising. We, 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 we reported last week that it, it accounts for 6.7% of uh, total finance vehicles. Um, that's over double what it was five years ago, and it's poised to double again in the next five years, if not sooner. So one thing that we discussed was, you know, where the lender fits in, right? Like, what, what do they have to figure out? And in speaking with Bob Beatty um, from GM Financial, you know, there's two, two, th two segments of that that I think um, lenders are going to really have to start thinking about. And that would be one, the role of the battery in these cars. There's a, you know, one thing that we're kind of seeing, there's a ton of battery manufacturers and, and while they all sort of, you know, operate under this kind of standard lithium ion um, structure, you know, they are a little different. So one thing that, that Bob pointed to was understanding um, the, the length and lifetime of the battery and how that plays into residual values. Um, and secondly, as it relates to EVs, would be kind of the ancillary product stream. You know, there's a huge opportunity for, for um, auto financiers to start tacking on things like home charging stations um, into the financing of the vehicle. So understanding what that looks like in the grand scheme of things, um, as well as, um, you know, the uh, lease versus retail um, kind of product mix. Is it, is, it, is it in the lender's best interest to you know, lean on leasing um, as opposed to retail to, to get the best return on, on those uh, residual values. So that was a very long-winded answer to the, to the two, two segments, I think, that, you know, are really starting to kind of bud in auto finance, and, and we certainly will be paying more attention to. Let's deal with each of them in, in uh, separately. 
Um, yeah, let's talk. We could talk about the batteries for a second. I mean, I think I think one of the things that's interesting to me, um, as you both know, I kind of follow the aviation industry as well in my spare time, <laughs> and one of the things about aircraft values is that the majority of aircraft value is actually folded into the engines. And I wonder whether we'll see that vehicle values will end up predominantly centering on the battery, um, the battery, both, both in terms of length, of uh, you know, remaining efficacy, power, efficiency, range. I mean, does it matter, you know, what the what kind of stereo system there is in the car, or even if you know what kind of um, in-vehicle operating system there is in the car, if the battery can't get you to the corner drugstore to get your milk. So, um, you know, I, I guess my question is, is like, if you think about it in that prism for each of you, how, how might you think differently about auto finance or residual values if this ends up being so much more about the battery or is the premise faulty? Um, so I would say it's definitely not faulty at all. Um, I, I can't actually see a scenario in which, you know, if, if the batter, if electric vehicles do become kind of the, the, the norm um, in consumer purchases, how the battery wouldn't be rolled in and taken into account when determining, um, you know, that the, the residual value of the vehicle. I mean, if you look at, at cell phones, for example, they're, they're a good model. You know, you have certain phones that have a have a horrible battery life, and that directly affects you know number one consumer purchases, but also the value the resale value of the device um, you know after it's been used. So I can't see a scenario in which that doesn't play a very prominent role in determining the value of the vehicle. I mean, Amanda, do you feel like there are aspects of the of how things are done today that you can point to that would really you think would just change? Um, as a result of this sort of battery, potentially batteries centrality? Yeah, I mean, one thing that I, I always keep thinking of is, you know, right now we look at mileage um, is kind of like the big telltale of right now of how, how good your car is and how much life it has left in it. You know, I drive a Toyota, so it, that doesn't really matter to me. Uh, it'll, it'll keep going at 500, right? But yeah, I think that that's really always been, you know, the, the thing that we look at, how many miles you have, and that's going to determine so much. Now with electric vehicles, it really is how much battery life you have left. You know, you could have a ton of miles on the car, but if that battery is really strong um, and it is still has a lot of life, then that's going to have a lot more value than that necessarily that, that mileage number. So that could be the... the or age, or say. age. Yeah, and then the other one, of course, is the age of the car itself, um, which obviously plays a factor. 
because you do have other materials that might break down a little faster uh, without getting into my sciencey brain, but um, <laughs> they break down a little faster than maybe the battery materials would. Uh, so you have to factor that in. But I do think that's going to become more of what is prominent in both consumers' minds and in lenders' minds when they're valuing that car um, versus kind of the normal parameters we use today. So that'd be the one big change I could see. Yeah. It's a good thing you have that science degree, Amanda. <laughs> <laughs> Who knew you were going to be using it on the auto finance beat? Um, I think the other question I had relates to another point that uh, I think you raised, Joey, which was, you know, sort of the, the data orientation for marketing. Um, my question to, to both of you is, what kind of costs are we looking at? If you're talking about a, you know, a, a different marketing model, which is what you're, you're implying and what, you know, what the speakers spoke about last week during the conference, if you're talking about a different marketing model, is this a cost, is this a, a cost level that is going to be so significant that it will end up becoming something of a, a barrier to entry or a barrier to growth for certain lenders because it might be, you know, we, we had, and just to put a, a finer, finer uh, point on the question, you know, it was the case, um, you know, prior to the previous uh, presidential administration that compliance was the main barrier to entry for, for auto finance companies, auto finance uh, growth, auto finance uh, entrepreneurship. Is data that barrier to entry now? So, I mean, I, I believe it, it potentially could be, but on the other hand, um, you know, in terms of just like cost, I would say no. It's, it's really just a matter of leveraging data that you're already getting and then reappropriating it in a, in a different way for more targeted ads. So I, I would think at the end of the day, and you know, I, I don't run an auto finance business, so I'm not you know, entirely sure, but I, I would think at the end of the day, it, your cost to, to you know, customer acquisition would, would actually go down um, because you're utilizing um, data you're already getting, analyzing it, and then you know, repurposing it out. That being said, you know, there is, um, there is a lot of, of things as it relates to fair lending, UDAP, um, that, that are really top of mind for the, for the industry right now, considering the shift to this digital slash remote um, kind of structure that we have, that, that lenders will have to pay more attention to. And as we all know, with additional compliance considerations comes additional cost. Um, so I, I think... The long and short of it, I think, as any, the smaller lenders are going to have a harder time kind of, you know, utilizing the, that extra data and analytics, um, especially if they're going to incorporate it into their underwriting models. Um, but the bigger players, you know, they shouldn't have any trouble um, with this shift. I mean, we're already seeing some of the bigger players like GM Financial, they, they're, they're already doing this. And, and I would imagine so is, you know, Toyota Financial Services, most of the banks. I would just add... Um, just my thought, I, I think initially there might be more just because they're going to have to kind of balance EVs and regular until one, either EVs go away or EVs kind of take over. Um, 
So it might be just the fact that this is kind of new still. Um, you're, you're having to, to kind of factor these in um, on a smaller scale at first before it becomes like a big part of the business. So if that makes sense, um, you know, that they, I just kind of think you have to, to really like look at your processes and figure out how these fit in. So that initial, there might be like an initial cost to coming up with the messaging and, and coming up with how to reach these customers because this is still very new. Um, and then once it becomes a bigger part of your business, obviously then you'll have maybe a team dedicated to that or you'll have already messages created. So I think there will be like an upfront, but then to Joey's point, I don't think it'll be something that will be continuously, you know, super more costly than, than what they're doing now. Yeah. I'm not sure if I agree with the both of you on this. Okay. Well, <laughs> Let, let's, let's hear it. Let's hear it. Uh, I, I I think that the I think that the the cost is is going to come uh, from the data scientist side. I think the human capital costs are, and it's not just the raw cost. It's also the number uh, in, ha, getting getting the at whatever cost, even just getting the resources because the specialization um, and the requirements around uh, the data analytics and applicability of the data uh, are so specialized um, that um, I, I, I actually, you know, if, you, if you've got them, uh, meaning, I mean, you heard what, uh, what Robert McDonald said, mm -hmm. right? Like that we have, uh, from Pagaya, you know, we have all these data scientists on our team. That that is a that is a barrier um, that I think is only going to become steeper going forward. So, um, not sure if I agree with you uh, both, but usually I'm wrong. So that's that should be a consolation to both of you. Um, what do we have uh, a plan for next week? So this week. Um, I have a report on the chip shortage. Uh, we finally uh, are getting to do a report on that. Um, that's going to come tomorrow. But um, you know, just a little teaser: um, it's not as bad for the captives and auto finance companies in the secondary market as it is for the OEMs. Um, and you know, I've I've got my reasons. So. Okay. Good. <laughs> Good. Um, well, that I'm looking forward to reading that. I've been I'm very curious. Um, and I hope you'll all uh, visit us at autofinancenews.net to read uh, not just that story coming up, but others. And, and please rate the roadmap on your podcast platform of choice. Uh, we've very much enjoyed you being with us during this episode. Thank you for uh, tuning in. We will see you next time on the roadmap.